are having a great day when you hear this. And I genuinely mean that. I hope your day is super swell and fantastic. But if you stick around, it's probably gonna get pretty dark. Because this episode is way fucked up. I can't even begin to start with this case. But I'm absolutely gonna do my best. No matter who you are, you listen to music. And if you don't, <laughs> you're really missing out. Now, I myself am not a fan of per se, of the kind of music that we're going to be discussing today surrounding this case. Now, just because I'm not a big fan of this kind of music doesn't mean I'm not well aware that it exists and know several of the bands. Now, there's no doubt many humans bond over music. It is a fantastic way to express yourself and get your creativity out. Or for many people like me who do create, it is the best way to get your pain and emotions out. Whether it's through concerts or jamming out with a friend, kicking back and listening to your favorite song, people gravitate towards music that they enjoy, sounds that they love. And that is exactly what brings us here today. Because it was music that brought Richard Psycho Sam McCroskey and Emma Niederbrock together. You see, Richard was an amateur horrorcore rapper, and Emma was a huge fan of the genre. When Emma and Richard first met online in 2008, they quickly became extremely close. There was absolutely no way that Emma could have known of the actual horrors that would result in her friendship with Psycho Sam. Welcome to What the Actual F with me, your host, Harmony. And today, we're gonna discuss the Farmville murders. It is called horrorcore rap, and the controversy over the music is only making it more mainstream. A 20-year-old horrorcore fan known as Psycho Sam. Who's to say what his, his motive for those murders really were? Was it because of my music? Was it because he was crazy? Was he on drugs? Did he have a sick fascination with death? He let me know his name's Psycho Sam. He let me know, he, he wasn't ashamed to tell me what he did. He broke down everything and said he did feel remorse for what he did. We sat down and talked a few times about it. He didn't like talking about it. He showed me pictures, black and white, of the that night, the stuff that happened. Okay, so before we even get started on this fucked up case, I need to explain to you where it all began. It's essential that I briefly go over for a moment what exactly horrorcore is, as it's basically the meat and potatoes of this story. I'm not going to fully try to describe it to you, I'm going to read you a little snippet from Wikipedia and I'm going to play a little bit of music for you. Here is the definition from Wikipedia on what horrorcore is. Horrorcore is based on horror-themed and often darkly transgressive lyrical content and imagery. Its origins derive from certain hardcore hip-hop and gangster rap artists, which began to incorporate supernatural, occult, or psychological horror themes into their lyrics. Unlike most hardcore hip-hop and gangster rap artists, horrorcore artists often push the violent context and imagery in their lyrics beyond the realm of realistic urban violence, to the point where the violent lyrics become gruesome, ghoulish, unsettling, or slasher film or splatter film-esque. Here, I'll play a very popular horrorcore band for you. I'm steady staring at your sister. I 
only 13, she got some big tits. After that, your dad would try to jump again. And only this time I put the 40 to his chin. After your mom does the dishes and the silverware, I try fuck her till I nut in my underwear. For those of you who have no idea what I just played for you, that is ICP's The Dating Game. And I'm not even gonna lie right now, I used to love ICP. So now that you have a general idea of what exactly horrorcore is, we can fully begin. Farmville, Virginia believe this man's rap songs about the thrill of murder became reality. Alright, so listen, start off with me that we've been talking about this kid Richard McCroskey. He calls himself Psycho Sam. Man, I know he's a big horrorcore supporter, man. You know, I've met the kid before. So who the hell is Psycho Sam? Let me introduce you. Psycho Sam's real name is Richard Alden Samuel McCruskey III, and he was born on December 26, 1988 in Hayward, California. If you're like me and never been to California and have no idea where anything's located except for LA, San Francisco, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's the only cities I know out there. Well, Hayward is actually located in the East Bay subregion of San Francisco, like in the Bay Area, I, I guess. At least according to the interwebs, that's where Hayward is. And this is where Richard McCruskey, aka Sam, which is what I'm going to refer to him in this podcast, lived with his family. He lived with both of his parents and his older sister. Then, in 2003, the McCruskey family moved to Castro Valley, California. This is only about three miles away from where they were just living. So, not this real big dramatic move. However, something somewhat dramatic would happen in the summer of 2009. Sam's parents would split up that year. So, from what I can gather, it's not exactly that the McCruskies were a unhappy family per se, they just weren't very close. Sarah McCruskey had this to say about what it was like in her family. Quote, we weren't a leave it to beaver type family. Now just because they weren't that close or this picture perfect family doesn't mean it was easy. And the split really hit Sam hard. It destroyed him when his mother moved out of the family home at the request of his father. Sam attended two high schools as a teenager, but he ended up dropping out of both. For him, school was just this miserable place. And can you figure out why? Because of bullies. Side note, if you were ever a bully in school, I fucking hate you. I was bullied so much that I almost took my own life. Some of y'all out there are real fucking assholes. So he was bullied for being an outcast, being overweight, and his red hair. That's right, Sam was a ginger. Which, as you know, growing up and in school, people are very fucking mean about that. Complete shithouse fucktards making fun of you because of something you can't help. Again, I love people. No, I don't. They suck. Now, Sarah described her brother as a very passive person. Someone who rarely even stood up for himself. Only would he do so if he was pushed into a corner or intentionally provoked. So basically, if someone was making fun of him or making his life hell, he would just sit back and take it. He would take it until he snapped. Now, as a result of his bullying and his shyness, Sam had very few friends and spent the majority of his time at home by himself. Kind of like all of our 2020. Now, just like 2020, social media was where he found comfort. 
In fact, a very particular networking site became a center in his life. MySpace brings all the boys to the page and they're like, mine's better than yours. And I'm like, you wish it was, please comment or I'll have a fit. My MySpace brings all the boys to the page and they're like, mine's better than yours. That's right, we're talking about MySpace. You know, I haven't been on my MySpace in years, and this is the most I've talked about it in so long. I just did another case that involved MySpace. So MySpace would become Sam's escape from reality. Now let's go to 2008, where Sam was living at home, working part-time as a graphic designer and dabbling in making music, mainly horrorcore rap. He would upload his music to his MySpace under the name Psycho Sam. This is where he began communicating and making friends with other horrorcore fans and rappers. Before we continue, I'm gonna let you guys hear a little snippet of one of his songs. Enjoy. Now it's time for me to introduce to you some more characters in this case. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to meet the Niederbrocks. Emma Niederbrock was born on October 15, 1992 to her parents, Mark and Deborah Niederbrock. She was born in Champaign, Illinois? Champaign? Champaign? Listen, I don't know how to say that town, but she was born in Illinois. However, she would move from Illinois to Farmville in central Virginia. Although it's not exactly clear when this move occurred, this is where our case takes place. Once they were settled in, Mark began serving as a pastor at Walker's Presbyterian Church in Hicksburg. Emma's mother, Deborah, was a professor in sociology and criminal justice at Longwood University in Farmville. Now, Emma didn't attend any high schools as she was homeschooled since middle school. At the very beginning of 2009, Mark and Deborah decided it was time for them to get a divorce. Many of you, I'm sure, have dealt with the divorce of your parents. It's kind of tough. I don't care what age you are, finding out that your parents are splitting up is never easy. And for a 15-year-old, it's really tough. Especially when her mother decided to have her father move out, which was the complete opposite of Sam's situation. Sam's mother moved out while her mother stayed and took care of her. This doesn't mean that her father wasn't in the picture. Her parents just were no longer together. As many teenagers do then and now, Emma spent so much time on the internet. And I'm sure you can guess where this is going, as she was mainly on MySpace. On MySpace, she would go by the alias Ragdoll. Also on MySpace is where she would find and listen to all of her favorite horrorcore music, and she would begin to meet and bond with other fans of the genre. In September of 2008, Emma, who was 15 at the time, met another horrorcore fan. But this guy was different, because he was an amateur horrorcore rapper by the name of Psycho Sam. By the way, Psycho Sam was 19 at the time. I know many of you probably aren't gonna bat an eyelash at that, but 15 to 19, that's a big fucking gap. And if you ask me, no 19-year-old needs to be trying to diddle a 15-year-old. Now the two began chatting regularly online and spending hours on the phone. They became pretty close and bonded over their love of horrorcore. 
sharing their favorite songs with one another, talking about upcoming festivals, and just thriving in the scene. Now I'd like you to keep in mind that Emma was still a minor during this, and Richard was a legal adult. However, he did look extremely young for his age. I mean, if you look up pictures, he looks like he can't be more than 16. That doesn't make it okay in the slightest, though. Again, if you're not new here, you know my standing on, well, pedophilia. And in a sense, if you're trying to diddle a minor, well, you got pedophiliac tendencies. So, Psycho Sam, yeah, I got news for ya. You're not just a murderer, but you're a pedophile. <laughs> this podcast is getting grim pretty fast. Prepare yourself, because this doesn't get any better. So this brings us to September of 2009, where the now 16-year-old Emma and 20-year-old Sam have been chatting daily for about a year. Now let me go ahead and give you guys a little bit of insight into Sam. At this point, he believed that Emma was his girlfriend. Emma would send him affectionate messages, but it's hard to tell how truly serious she was about him, especially when you learn of the gruesome events that were about to unfold. Now, Emma and Sam had never met in person. I know a lot of you got internet friends, and you never met them before. In fact, I'm pretty sure many of you out there listening to this are my friends on social media. And though we've never met, I fucking love you. Now, just because they had never met in person doesn't mean they weren't clearly close. I mean, they talked at least once a day for a year. And saying just one time, that's not even touching the surface. They would talk consistently throughout the day. So in Sam's eyes, Emma was his person. But was Sam that to Emma? Let's continue, shall we? Strictly for the Wicked was an all-day horrorcore festival that was scheduled for September 12, 2009 in Southgate, Michigan. Emma and her best friend, 18-year-old Melanie Wells, had plans to attend the festival. Emma lived in Inwood, West Virginia, about three and a half hours from Farmville. This best friend duo had been to many festivals together before, and they always had a wonderful, great, amazing, fantastic time. You know, I might not be a fan of the genre, but I will say it's fans and members of that whole music scene are very close. I was just telling another friend of mine recently that heavier music like metal and just this horrorcore genre, the fans that are involved are a lot nicer than what you deal with with pop music. If you listen to pop, chances are you're a fucking dick. Or secretly just a fucking high class bitch. Tend to have no regard for anybody but yourself. But if you're a part of this horrorcore and heavy metal alternative music, let's say, you kind of become part of a family. You go to these festivals and you meet everybody and you get along and you have a great time. 
However, that is a complete opposite compared to rap and pop music. You go to these shows and you're gonna get pushed, shoved, maybe trampled, and possibly die. All while your favorite artist continues to play on stage. I'm looking at you, Astro World. Now, as you could have guessed, Emma and Richard spoke about attending this wicked festival and decided it would be a great opportunity for them to finally meet in person for the first time. Now, Emma's parents were a little bit apprehensive about this. She's 16, meeting a 20-year-old man that she met on the internet and had only talked to on the phone. If you're a parent out there, that's probably making you real scared. Internet people, though super fun and can be your friends, can also be murderers. Well, I mean, he was, that's, that's why we're here. You know, come to think of it, maybe Emma should have listened to her parents because they were correct, absolutely correct, to be worried about this situation. However, they wanted their daughter to be happy and any good parent won't step in the way of your child's happiness unless you know they're in danger. But how could her parents have known the real danger they were all in? So Mark and Deborah decided, you know what? <laughs> we're gonna drive you, Emma. We're gonna take you so we know you get there safely and we know you arrive home as well safely. They didn't just drive her there, they drove her to get Mel and Sam. They went to hang out in the city for a day while the festival was going on as well. Keep in mind that Mark and Deborah were divorced at this point. So they were going out of their way to go together and make things work for Emma to be with her friends and attend this festival. I think it's time we discuss the meeting and quite possibly what made Psycho Sam live up to his name. We defiled the grave and then lightning struck seconds ago. I think we we're being warned. And now it's starting to rain. It's not my fault. So now it's starting to rain really hard. So peace, Negroes. It was September 6, 2009, when Sam left California to head to Virginia. Emma was beyond excited to finally be meeting him in person. She even posted this on his MySpace on September 7th. Next time you check your MySpace, you'll be at my house. I love you so, so much, baby, forever and for always. Now, the timeline around this day is a little bit blotchy, but from what I could find out, it seems as though Sam arrived at Emma's home in Farmville on the 7th. It also could have been the 8th as well. The internet's kind of divided on that. Then Mel arrived at Emma's on the 7th, which was great. Mark and Zebra didn't have to go and pick everybody up. However, they still planned on taking everyone to the festival while they hung out in the city nearby and just killed time. Now, Sam was able to stay at Emma's house for a few days before the actual festival would happen. That's a bit strange as to me, I don't know how comfortable I would feel with having someone in my home, staying the night, spending time with my child that had never met them before. They're in your safe space and they're a complete stranger. And we're gonna learn what the real meaning of stranger danger is. The drive from Farmville, Virginia to Southgate, Michigan is roughly about 10 hours. And that is if you don't stop. If you have to pee, you better suck it up because we're going. I'm kidding, I I'm sure they stopped to like go pee and get food, which would put them roughly about 12 hours out. Now the festival doors would open at 1 p.m. on September 12th. So the family drove about part way and on September 11th, they stayed out at a hotel for the night. 
Then they drove the rest of the way to the festival in the morning of the 12th. At least that's what the internet is somewhat putting together and guessing. They really could have just driven the whole way. You know, take turns, sleep while I drive, and then I'll sleep while you drive. So yeah, I mean, it's quite possible that they all got in the car and just drove straight through and didn't stop. But for argument's sake, let's just go ahead and say they stopped for the night. But it doesn't matter because that's not an important factor in this case. Something that is extremely important is when Emma first met Sam. The very day that Sam arrived at her home. To say that Emma was not impressed is a understatement. It seems as though Sam had somewhat catfished Emma. You see, he changed his appearance for all of his MySpace photos. In reality, Sam looked like a different person than what Emma believed she was talking to. He appeared far younger than his 20-year-old age and was pretty short. And I'm not saying that to offend anybody. Listen, I'm 4'11 to 5 foot, just depending on the gas station I walk into. So if you're short, don't come for me. Cause like, same. Sam would always wear oversized black hooded sweatshirts and baggy black cargo pants. It was his go-to look. A big thing that Emma didn't find attractive about him was the fact that his hair was always extremely greasy and he would comb it straight down on his forehead. Emma just simply didn't find him attractive, not like she believed she would. And hey, I can't fault anybody for who they like and who they don't like and what they find attractive. But I can fault you if you lie about your appearance on the internet. Just lead with who you are. Be proud of yourself. Have confidence. And those who appreciate you and see your worth won't mind. And those who mind, <laughs> they don't fucking matter. Accept yourself and love yourself. But needless to say, Emma wasn't really digging him. Now on top of his appearance, he also came across as extremely immature. Like a young teenage boy that just thought any and everything was funny. Boobs, tits, ass, and farts. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn it, I'm immature too. Now Emma was very polite to Sam, but kind of distant. She may have shown several signs of wanting to be in a relationship with him before the meeting, but once they met in person, things clearly kind of changed. In fact, it seems as though Emma and Mel may have started to find Sam a bit annoying. But anyways, the five of them, Emma, Mel, Sam, and Emma's parents were in for a long and extremely awkward car ride. Who's up for a game of I Spy? Woo! Road trip. I think people are trying to make it out to be something that it really ain't. It just so happens that, you know, it, it mirrors what we talk about in rap, so they put it on us. Marr says he has met McCroskey several times at his concerts. I mean, so this kid, to me, he seemed like a quiet, smart kid, so I didn't really ever think twice about it. But when it hit the news and stuff, I knew exactly who it was. At this point, I'm pretty sure Sam could kind of catch that Emma wasn't really feeling him. After all, she went from I love you's always and forever to barely wanting to be around him. However, I'm sure he was hoping that once they arrived at the festival and they were both in their elements enjoying the horror course scene, that maybe she would open up and her vibe would change. Maybe she would see him in a better yet different light. But I'm sure you can probably guess this was nothing but a wishful thought. In fact, this whole situation would only get worse once they arrived at their destination. According to other festival goers, Emma paid Sam very little attention throughout the whole event. 
Not only was she not interested in him whatsoever, she was reportedly flirting with several other guys in person and via text. And guess what? Sam saw all of it and he was not too keen on it. The festival ended around 11 o'clock on September 12th. The following day, Emma, Mel, Sam, and Emma's parents headed back to Farmville. And at roughly almost 3 o'clock in the morning, Monday, September 14th, Mel posted this to her MySpace. SFTW was fucking amazing. Back in Virginia now. Be back in West Virginia on Wednesday. I miss everyone. FYI, Mel's name on MySpace was Miss Free Abortions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh... <laughs> okay. After this post on her MySpace page, Mel went quiet. Neither her friends nor her family heard from her at all that Monday or on Tuesday. It was as though she just disappeared. And that is not like her at all. After several failed attempts to try to reach their daughter, Thomas and Kathleen Wells became extremely worried. On Wednesday, September 16th, the day that Mel was due to come home, Thomas drove almost 200 miles from Idwood, West Virginia to Farmville, Virginia. He was determined to find out where his daughter was, what she was doing, or God forbid, if something had happened to her. When nobody answered the door at the home of Deborah and Emma, Thomas sat outside in his car and simply waited. That's right, he was just gonna wait it out. Eventually, they gotta come home or exit. Unfortunately, this wouldn't happen. He hoped that Mel, Emma, and Deborah were just out and doing something, maybe shopping, getting some food, and they would return home. After waiting around for about seven hours, he realized that something was wrong and nobody was showing. This is when he decided to drive away from the house, yet he had some sort of feeling that something was horribly wrong. He had no idea how absolutely correct he was. Now we have some more players entering this case. Serial Killin' Records, otherwise known as SKR, is a small independent record company owned by Andre Shrim. That also could be Shrime, Shream. Anyways, he goes by Sick Tanic with a K. This is based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. A lot of the horrorcore music that Emma, Mel, and Sam listened to was produced by SKR. They also organized the Strictly for the Wicked Festival. After some of her own investigating into what could have happened to Mel and what was going on, Kathleen came across the phone number for Andre Shrim, aka Sictanic. Now, Sictanic did answer the phone when Kathleen reached out, and he told her he did in fact remember seeing Mel, Emma, and Sam together at the festival. And he recalled that they had left with Emma's parents when the event ended. However, beyond that, he didn't have much more to go on, so he wasn't any more of help. But he did let her know if he found out anything else or heard of anything, he would absolutely let her know. After Kathleen got off the phone with Andre, she called Emma's house again. 
This time, somebody did answer the phone. It was Sam. So Kathleen took the opportunity to ask him, where is Mel? However, he couldn't really give her an answer, it seemed. I don't know, somewhere? This made Mel's mother extremely upset. She had a feeling that Sam was lying. This brings us to the morning of Thursday, September 17th. Kathleen had had enough of not knowing where her daughter was and dealing with some 20-year-old that obviously wasn't telling her the full truth. She decided to phone the police in Farmville. She then explained the whole situation and asked them if they would go by the house for a welfare check. And boy, oh boy, were they in for a gruesome discovery. Real-life mayhem, some believe, is motivated by a certain sound and stagecraft. The musical genre often appealing to teens is called horrorcore, and there is no bigger name than the insane clown posse. But while this pair may just rap about acts of savagery and violence, some of their devoted fans are living them. Hence the question, should these artists share in the blame? The police finally arrived at the house of Deborah and Emma Niederbrock, and they were greeted by none other than Sam McCroskey. So when they asked him, hey, Sam, where's Emma, Mel, and Deborah at? Well, he had an answer. He knew exactly where they were. They were at the movies. Now, at this time, they had no idea who this kid was talking to them. At this time, the police had no idea who this kid was. In fact, he was probably all like, I'm Emma's boyfriend. That's right. You don't, you don't believe me? No? You can check it out on MySpace. She tells me she loves me all the time. Or something like that. Nonetheless, the police took what he said, which to me is a bit bothersome. However, what I've learned in a lot of these cases is police just kind of suck sometimes. They don't really want to do their job. It's just too much, it seems. Or for whatever reason, they just decide, that's fine. Who cares? They're just teenagers and a full-grown woman that have been MIA for days. But hey, they're probably at the movies, right? I swear, the more I look into these cases and the more I learn, I really think that police reform is necessary, and that's not the only reason, but let's continue. Now, they didn't really investigate any farther, and they didn't ask him any more questions. They didn't even ask if they could go inside and look around, which they really should have. I mean, really should have. It's assumed that the police must have known that Mel was supposed to be home two days prior to their visit to the Niederbrock's home, and that nobody had heard from her nor had anyone heard from Emma or Deborah, despite several people trying to reach out to them. However, the police decided, ah, mm, our job here is done. Now, a lot of people speculate that this could be because Mel was 18. Therefore, she's an adult and she's absolutely allowed to disappear and not be in contact with her parents. Yeah, it's frowned upon in a super dick move, but it's not illegal. I mean, according to the law, when you're 18, you can do whatever you want to do. To an extent, of course. You can't drink alcohol, but you can pay taxes. Can't rent a car, but you can join the military. Sorry, I can continue, but I won't. At this time as well, the police had no idea that Sam didn't live at that house. They just didn't really seem to think that anything was suspicious. But you're gonna come to learn they were so wrong. After this welfare check, if you want to call it that, turned up nothing, Kathleen called Mark Niederbrock. She explained that she was worried about Mel, who, as she stated, was supposed to already be home. Yeah, she told him, okay, I get it, maybe she's just staying out, but I need to know that she's okay. 
Now, as you guys remember, Mark wasn't living in the Niederbrock house. Mark, at the time, was living in Pamplin, Virginia. This is about 20 minutes away from his home in Farmville. So he told Kathleen, hey, you know what? Don't worry, I will run by the house and see what's going on. You know, just check it out, see if everyone's okay. He assured her that there was nothing to worry about and that as soon as he got there and he talked to Mel, Deborah, and Emma, he would contact her. This was the last time that Mark was ever heard from. Like a scary movie. Ah! Horrorcore music is intense and gruesome and almost all off limits for television. Dating back to the early 90s, Horrorcore takes gangster rap and death metal to new levels by glamorizing some of the worst acts of violence. Our music deals with stuff like murder, suicide, you know, occult stuff, you know what I mean, rape, and anything that's crazy that's going to offend you a little bit. Mars considers himself one of the hottest horrorcore artists right now, touring with the likes of Insane Clown Posse. They get the credit for taking horrorcore mainstream music that reaches out to a certain fan base that wants releases like schoolhouse glock the album cover art pretty much says it all for fans looking for violence in music it's just fantasy it has its purpose and it's to entertain investigators say at least two people have taken the music seriously in 2005 a high school student who police say was a regular on mars's website killed nine people in minnesota in september Four people were killed in Virginia, and the accused killer, a 20-year-old horrorcore fan known as Psycho Sam, who used to go to Mars's shows. At this point, it is September 18th, and Kathleen is fed up. She calls the police again because she is freaking out. She hadn't gotten a single piece of useful information for days about where her daughter was. After all, Mark never contacted her back. Now, I don't know what exactly happened, if she filed a missing persons report or if she just asked them to please go by the house again. However, she did convince them to return to Deborah and Emma's home. And the police had no idea what they were about to walk into. Police arrived at the house around 3.20 in the afternoon on Friday, September 18th. Immediately, they found the front door unlocked. And Sam, that friendly young man that they had spoken to just the day before, was gone. However, something hit them that was unmistakable. As soon as they opened the door, they were hit with a thick, pungent, unmistakable stench of death. In fact, this smell is what gave the police probable cause to enter into the home. Now, I don't know how they didn't smell it the day before. I guess people are speculating online that Sam probably saw the police pull up or when they knocked, just immediately stepped outside and hoped and prayed they wouldn't smell it. But if you've ever had the displeasure of smelling a rotting corpse, it is grotesque and absolutely unmistakable which is gonna make this even more disturbing as we continue. Now, later on after everything happened and went down, a woman that lived nearby spoke to CNN about the murders. She stated that when she would walk by the home a few times on September 17th, she could smell an extremely foul odor. However, she just assumed that it was probably some dead animal in the nearby area. It's so gross. So she didn't think anything was off about this. Nobody could fathom 
that the smell was coming from four dead bodies inside this house. Inside the home, police found three bodies in what looked like Emma's bedroom. This was located downstairs. The discovery of the bodies was what allowed them to attain a search warrant. Once police had their warrant in hand, they went farther and did a full search of the home. And this is when they found another body. The bodies belonged to Mark Niederbrock, Deborah Kelly, Emma Niederbrock, and Melanie Wells. Now, they wouldn't actually be identified for a few days. Mel, Emma, and Deborah were in Emma's room, while Mark was found upstairs. Now, I don't want to really speculate on what exactly happened, but I kind of have a feeling that Sam either overheard the girls talking in Emma's room and maybe they were talking to Emma's mom and he didn't like what he was hearing and he flew into a rage. Or maybe he attacked them all one by one and then brought them into her room. But what gets me is the body of Mark. What I feel may have happened is Mark entered the home and maybe he didn't go into Emma's room, maybe he went right upstairs to find Deborah. And maybe as he made his way upstairs, he encountered Sam. And that would be the last face Mark would ever see. It kind of pains me to know that Mark most likely did not know what had happened to his daughter and his ex-wife. He most likely was brutally killed without having any idea what happened to his daughter. That just, ugh, that fucks me up, man. This scene at the house was described by several police officers as being so horrifying that they would not even elaborate on the details of the gruesome nature of what they encountered. They did announce that all the victims had died from extreme blunt force trauma. You know it's bad when police don't want to give details. And from what I've kind of gathered and the things that I've heard, read, and seen others mention, it was really bad. This was a brutal, brutal attack. And the attack ended with four people dead and one missing. So where was this mysterious young man they had just spoken to the day before? Was he also a victim or was he a suspect? <laughs> I'm sure you can figure that one out. Police in Farmville, Virginia believe this man's rap songs about the thrill of murder became reality. Police arrested Richard Alden Samuel McCroskey III after they found him sleeping in Richmond's airport, awaiting a flight home to California. He's charged with first-degree murder, robbery, and grand larceny of an automobile after four bodies were found in this home. It belongs to a professor at nearby Longwood University. Police have not identified the victims. McCroskey posted rap songs online under the name Psycho Sam. He performs in the underground genre known as horrorcore. In a song called My Dark Side, he says, You're not the first, just to let you know. I've killed many people, and I kill them real slow. It's the best feeling watching their last breath, stabbing and stabbing till there's nothing left. A friend who owns Serial Killin' Records in New Mexico said others shouldn't judge McCroskey by what they see on his website or hear in his music. Andre Schrimm said even though horrorcore focuses on murder and other morbid subjects, performers and fans shouldn't be labeled violent. Shrim also defended McCroskey, saying you could never imagine him being a murder suspect. McCroskey is expected to appear in court Monday. Matt Friedman, The Associated Press. After the police went through evidence in the home and checked the social media accounts of Emma and Melanie, it didn't take very long for them to figure out that Sam had been with the girls at the festival. And he had come back to the house there in Farmville. Yet he was nowhere 
to be found. I don't know about you, but that's a little suspicious. An officer who had gone to Emma's home to carry out one of the welfare checks remembered speaking to Sam. And when he was being shown photos of Sam from his social media, he confirmed that he was the same man that they had had the conversation with about Mel and Emma's whereabouts. The very same one that said, no, the ladies are at the movies. This is when a manhunt for Sam McCroskey was declared. Now, much earlier on Friday, September 18th, around four o'clock in the morning, a nearby homeowner who lived on Poor House Road in Farmville called the police to report that a car had actually gotten stuck in the ditch at the end of their driveway. And uh, spoiler alert, it, it wasn't their car. Eventually, a deputy and a tow truck showed up at the home. And who did they find? Sam with the car. He was just given a ticket for driving without a license. When asked, hey, <laughs> whose car is that? Because you don't you don't have a license, so like, you don't have a car. Without hesitation, Sam responded with, oh, it's my girlfriend's dad's car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sam really is a psycho. Living up to his name. Like I told you he would. The bodies of Mark, Deborah, Emma, and Melanie would not be discovered for another 12 hours of when this happened. So we kind of like backpedaled a little bit there. I just wanted to fill you in that this had occurred. And sadly, that deputy couldn't do anything. And the deputy couldn't do anything because he had no idea about the murders that Sam had just committed. Now, while they were having this conversation about, you know, hey, so like, how'd you get this car in the ditch? And like, whose car is it again? Sam let it slip that he had plans to fly home back to California the next day, Saturday the 19th. The tow truck driver by the name of Elton Napier offered to give Sam a ride. And of course, Sam accepted this. After all, he couldn't drive the car anymore because it wasn't his and he didn't have a license. This is when Elton, the tow truck driver, explained to media later on that he had never experienced such a terrible smell coming from someone in his life. He told media outlets after everything that he had to stick his head out of the window to stop himself from gagging. He had this to actually say about the whole experience and what he smelled coming off of this kid. And I quote, he stunk like the devil. Can you guys figure out why he smelled so bad? Have you caught on yet? I'm, I'm sure you have, because I've already said it a few times. But if not, here we go. There's a lot of cases that try to link violent music um, to the lives of the accused. Um, but that can be quite problematic because it's often this um, escape or empowerment fantasy um, rather than a desire to commit that crime. Lily Hirsch is a professor of music at Cleveland State University. This is more extreme violence related to fantasy and horror films or horror fiction like Stephen King or uh, movies like Child's Play. You've been very naughty, Miss Kendall. Of course, like anybody who gets arrested for such heinous crimes, Sam's friends and family expressed their absolute disbelief. Sam's sister, Sarah, you guys may remember her, I mentioned her at the beginning of the podcast. She said that at first she could not believe that her brother would have done this. Then reality hit her. Then came Monday, September 21st, 
Almeda County Sheriff's Office deputies served a search warrant to enter the McCruskey home in Castro Valley, California. Now, once police and investigators entered the home, they seized phones, computers, and much, much more. And this is when they learned the disturbing truth that everything connected to Sam. When Sarah learned of the true nature of her young brother, Sam, she had this to say, quote, I just fell to my knees. I couldn't even see. I couldn't talk. I feel as though I failed as his big sister. Sarah stated that she sensed that something was wrong on September 17th when Sam called home and left a message. He said he wanted to make sure that, quote, everyone was okay. Before he hung up, he said, hey, I love you guys. And according to Sarah, this is not something that Sam would ever say. He just wasn't really this PDA lovey-dovey guy. And the family wasn't that close, as you guys remember. So throwing out a random, hey, I love you guys, is a little bit fucking weird. But initially, she didn't think a whole lot of it, just found it odd. But it was all making sense now. Sarah also insisted that the murders had nothing to do with the horrorcore genre that Sam enjoyed and also created his own of. In fact, she believes that none of his music, even though he talks of murder, violent murder, had any impact on what he actually did. In fact, she had this to say about the whole incident in horrorcore. Quote, much of horrorcore rap is taking you through the mind of a killer and their point of view. Psycho Sam was just a stage name. It wasn't his alter ego or something. I might have to beg to differ here, but hey, we're never gonna actually know. Andre Shrim, you guys remember him, Sictanic? He actually stood by Sarah's initial belief as well that Sam was not capable of such acts of violence. He was just such a good guy. This is what Sictanic had to say. Quote, you would never ever imagine that kid even being a suspect. If he is found to be guilty, I would 100% be shocked. Well, Sictanic, <laughs> prepare to be shocked. At the airport, as he was being led away by police, Sam was asked by a reporter, what made you do it? To which Sam said, Jesus made me do it. You guys know, the devil made me do it. No, it was Jesus, hallelujah. Sorry, sorry, let's continue. Members of Mark Niederbrock's church responded to this comment from Sam by stating this, quote, I think it's deeply rooted in Satan. If you wanna know the truth, that's where it lies. Do you think Psycho Sam was living out his music? Because a lot of what Psycho Sam sang in his music is exactly how Emma, Mel, Mark and Deborah lost their lives in such gruesome, gruesome manners. The same exact manners and ways that Psycho Sam rapped about. Welcome to the mysterious stranger. What? What? Hello. Who are you? An angel. What's your name? We have arrived to October 19th, 2009. Richard McCruskey, aka Sam, was indicted on six counts of capital murder, one for each four of the victims, as well as capital murder for murdering multiple people within three years. The evidence against him, needless to say, was absolutely overwhelming. 
His court-appointed attorney, Carrie Bowen, told Sam that they would have to make a plea deal in order to avoid trial and in order to avoid him getting the death penalty. So roughly about a year later, on September 20th, 2010, Richard McCluskey, aka Sam, pled guilty to two counts of capital murder and two counts of first-degree murder. This also made him waive his right to any appeal in the future. He was given four life sentences for his crimes. Attorney Jim Enos had this to say about Sam's motive for the murders. Quote, I think he had a certain expectation of the relationship with Emma and him, what it was going to be like after a year on the computer, and it didn't turn out the way he imagined. It was nothing as though what he thought it'd be like. The families of the victims declined to speak to any media outlet, but they did issue a written statement expressing that they were relieved the case was over and that they believed justice had been served. Sam didn't say anything during or after his hearings. He was even said to be snickering as he left the courtroom. Yeah, I'm not kidding. There's an actual video when he does get arrested when he says, Jesus made me do it, and he's laughing. He absolutely shows no sorrow or remorse for what he's done. This also has led Farmville residents to question whether he really felt any remorse for his actions. According to Sam's lawyer, however, according to him, Sam felt nothing but pain and remorse and sorrow for his crimes. I'm sorry I'm laughing, I don't fucking believe it. But hey, maybe you do, I don't know, it's a matter of opinion. Richard McCruskey, aka Sam, aka Psycho Sam, is currently incarcerated at Wallens Ridge State Prison in Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Now let's kind of talk about a little bit exactly what happened and how the killings unfolded. After all of his hearings, Sam's lawyer relayed Sam's statement to the media. This statement would be in regard to what happened to Mark, Deborah, Emma, and Melanie. Sam's motive for the murders was his rage toward Emma for rejecting him at the music festival. Mark, Deborah, and Melanie were really just, I hate to say this, but at the wrong place at the wrong time. Sam also stated that he had been heavily drinking and smoking weed. His blood was boiling as he became increasingly furious at the fact that Emma didn't want him and the fact that she seemed to want everybody else, at least according to Sam. Melanie was killed first while she slept on the couch in the den. He then killed Deborah in a room upstairs. And finally, he saved Emma for last. He went downstairs into her bedroom and took her life. The three women were murdered in the early hours of September 15th. He did this with a ball-peen hammer. None of them awoke during their attacks. They knew this because there were no defensive wounds on all three of the victims. Then, from around 3 a.m. on Tuesday, September 15th to about 5 p.m. on Thursday, September 17th, this is when Mark would arrive at the house, by the way, Richard sat in the home with the three dead bodies. Just hanging out, eating snacks, checking out MySpace, listening to music, having a great time. Police did come by the home during this time to carry out their welfare check, as you guys remember. This was on the behest of Catherine Wells. Then, when Mark arrived to the home on September 17th after receiving the very worried call from Kathleen regarding Mel's whereabouts, he was suddenly ambushed downstairs. Mark was beaten to death with an eight-pound wood-splitting maul. Sam stated that he used the maul because he believed the weight of it would not allow Mark to suffer. Oh, <laughs> so thoughtful. 
After he was done murdering Mark in such a vicious manner, he decided to drag Melanie's body and Mark's body into Emma's room. Then, for some odd reason, I don't know why, he tried to clean up the den. Again, I don't know why he'd do this because there are dead bodies in the house. So, I mean, you can't really hide what happened, buddy. By the way, that buddy was sarcasm. For those of you who aren't fluent in it, like I am. Oh, <laughs> by the way, he also recorded a video of himself in which he spoke to the camera, talking about how he knew he would have to pay the consequences for what he had done. And due to that fact, he was now debating suicide. This brings us to Sam leaving the scene at about 3.30 in the morning, Friday, September 18th. And as you guys know, he used Mark's car to do so. Oh, and not to mention, he also robbed Mark, which is really fucked up because he's dead. I mean, dude, this guy is fucking psycho. Psycho, Sam! This is when, shortly after, he would be discovered stuck in the ditch in front of the house on Poor House Road. And where he'd have the run-in with the deputy. But he would make his escape. I mean, of course, only to be caught shortly thereafter. But nonetheless, he got away for a while. Hazard us to your health. Be careful, you just might hurt yourself. This is another dose of death. Take you, rape you, break you. Oh yes, I'm poison. Now before we say our goodbyes and I close this case out, let's discuss the topic of horrorcore and what this has all caused in the community. Following the murders of Emma, Mark, Deborah, and Melanie, there was an outcry from the public over the horrorcore scene. Now, we can all agree the music in horrorcore is extremely dark and fucking violent, with lyrics that are submerged in rape, murder, slitting throats, fucking, just torture, killing, and feeling amazing living on a high from it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of dark. It's not your typical Barney song. There is no, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. No, you're not finding that in this. It's more like, I hate you, you hate me, I'm gonna fucking destroy your family. With a here and a there, everybody run and you're fucking scared or something like that. I'm sorry, I'm not a rapper. After this tragedy and several others, the horrorcore scene was thrown in the limelight. Now, we're not new to this kind of thing. After all, we have the satanic panic over music that was just so dark and heavy. And then you have the parents that are against violent video games because it's causing their teens to be violent little assholes. Instead, we could just, again, hold the people that commit the crimes accountable and not point fingers at everything else. But why would we do that? That's just smart, Harmony. But as you can recall from Columbine, people started to think maybe it was the music, maybe it was the video games. It wouldn't have been them. They weren't responsible for their own actions. Cause why would they be? In the case of horrorcore, to explain away these atrocities by the music is not acceptable. Placing blame on games, on movies, on satanic worship allows people to distance themselves from the absolute terrible things that have happened. This is the kind of mentality that gives our society an excuse to put off addressing real problems. We become extremely passive when we feel things are out of our control and we fear them and we don't understand them. But Part of it is also the desire to shove these horrible issues away and pretend 
they simply don't exist. If you live in America, you know we have a major issue with out-of-control gun violence. No, I know this has nothing to do with this case because he used a ball-peen hammer in a mall. However, the same kind of crimes that are done with brutal murder of several people are blamed on music. They're blamed on video games. They're blamed on movies. They're not blamed on the person or people who commit the violent acts. And I didn't bring up guns because I want anyone to jump in my emails and tell me, oh my god, I can't believe you're against guns, because no, I'm not. I actually have one in my home for my own protection and my son's. Don't worry, I don't need anyone else jumping in my email telling me that make sure it's locked up. I assure you, it is safely locked up and way up high. In fact, I have to use a stool just to get it, so there's like no way my son can. The fact of the matter is it's not a music problem. It's not a video game issue. It's not a violent movie problem either. It's a mental health problem. And there's an issue behind this. Because there is extreme stigmatization of mental health issues and lack of affordable and accessible treatment for people with serious mental illnesses. And I'm sorry, I gotta say this. As someone who struggles every day with mental illness, I can tell you, sometimes it's very hard to understand reality from your head. And if you are mentally ill, what you perceive as reality may not be real. But in America, we live in a society where it's almost impossible to get help. Either A, you tell somebody, hey, I am having some issues, I don't know what's going on, and bam, you're locked up in a padded cell. Or B, you can't afford to see anyone, so you suffer with those demons all alone. Now this isn't just an issue in the United States. This is a global issue. All over the world, many of us are struggling with mental illness. and. Sadly, it's not improving. Not a little bit, not at all, not slightly. It's getting dramatically worse. Now, yeah, there's gonna be people that are absolutely shocked and appalled and do not like the horrorcore rap scene. But I strongly am going to stand by the fact that it is not the reason that Sam murdered Emma, her parents, and Melanie. It's just as simple as his mental health. Emma was messaging and chatting with other guys, and she was not interested in Sam. She did this blatantly out in the open right in front of him. After over a year of them communicating, talking every day, saying I love you, talking about a future, Sam was very open about the fact that he had struggled with issues mentally. He had demons of his own, and that's what he always sang about. He talked about the fact that he has a very dark side in his head that he hates his life and the world he lives in. So what do you think is gonna happen when a 20-year-old sees his 16-year-old what he thinks girlfriend not happy to see him, doesn't really wanna be near him, and then openly is flirting with other men? Am I saying his actions are justified? Fuck no. But it pushed him over. He could not stand it. He was bitter and enraged, and this wonderful relationship that he had built up and been hoping for and wanted was not happening. People do not like that the reason for murder is just often simple. It's not because of music, it's not because of video games, and it's not because of movies. Yes, I know there are copycat killers out there, but shh, that's not what I'm trying to get to here. The reality of the situation is people commit heinous crimes every day, and you gotta stop pointing the finger at anybody but them. I don't know, you may disagree. You may think that the people that do these horrible, heinous things are simply led to do this by what they enjoy, by the music they listen to, the games they play, and the movies they watch. 
Am I saying that this can't contribute to somebody who is mentally ill? No, because it can. But am I stating that it's the fault of that? If we want to stop the problem, we need to help the people. <laughs> but I mean, that's probably the best joke I've said this podcast. Because we all know the bigger higher ups could give two fucks about us. Now, before I close this last segment out, I want to tell you guys a quote that Mr. Sictanic himself stated. You look at the music we do and it's kind of harsh and somewhat brutal at times, but there's a different side of life that people aren't normally accustomed to. And being an artist, I think it's important to see both sides of life. Now I'm gonna say right now, I agree with that. I'm obsessed with macabre, I love horror, and I love to know the nitty gritty darkness that exists in our world. You can keep your rose colored sunglasses on and think that everyone's wonderful and made of sunshine and rainbow farts, but that's not true. We live in a dark, grim, horrible world full of real life monsters. As I once read in a quote, you can be scared of ghosts and demons, but the real monsters are right beside you. The people you call your friends, those you call family, the very same ones that say I love you. For the real monsters in this world are human. Now speaking of one more monster, before we close out, I'm gonna let you guys hear a little snippet of a song. I may have sat here and fought for the fact that horrorcore is not to blame for this, but that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna call out some fucking bullshit. A horrorcore scene rapper by the name of Mr. Rage had a very, very inappropriate and fucked up song he released. I know, you're probably like, well, I mean, that's horrorcore. Now, uh, this one was about Sam and his murders. Mr. Rage calls out the names of the girls, mocks them, ridicules, and makes fun of the fact that their lives were so brutally taken, praising Sam for his heinous acts. Now that is something I cannot get behind. And even though I think this song and what he has done with it is bullshit, I will say that I'm not trying to be an asshole about Mr. Rage because he did pass away a few years ago. I don't really know all the details and I'm not too worried about it because it doesn't have to do much with this case. But for those of you who want to know the song, it is called Mr. Rage, I'm Going Sam on it. And here's a little taste. So um, there's the song. I know it's a bop. Fucking kidding, by the way. It sucks. And it's absolutely disgusting. I'm not just saying that because I'm not a really big fan of horrorcore. I'm saying that for the fact of what the lyrics are about. But again, music is all a matter of opinion. And maybe you like it. Maybe you think it slaps. Maybe, as the kids say, to you, it's a bop. To me, hearing it one time was enough. I ain't gonna listen to it again. So there you go, guys. That was the case of Psycho Sam and the Farmville murders. Thank you guys so much for sticking around and listening to this. My audience has grown immensely in the past year, and I love you guys. We live in a very dark world, a world full of hate, murder, betrayal, just dark, grim shit. And if you're up for it, 
Come here every week and let me tell you a tale of the darkness that hides in the light of our world. I'll tell you tales that will leave you wondering what the actual left was that. Although this was pretty grim, I do hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. And along with that, I hope the rest of your week is phenomenal. I look forward to our date next week where I tell you another grisly tale from around our world. Okay.